Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. This episode is sponsored by my 7-Day Beat the Bloat Challenge. So ladies, if you want the tips, tricks and recipes to get you from bloated to beautiful, jump to the show notes and register now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. Today I am back with Selene from Selene Douglas Nutrition. We actually caught up a couple weeks ago and we talked about PCOS. So what actually is, um, how we diagnose it, what some of the testing is you can get run to see if you have PCOS and what are some of the symptoms you could be struggling with it. Now, as we were talking, we realized there's so much information that we want to give you all. And because we do love to chat, we've decided to make another podcast for you ladies and actually dive into some of the different types of PCOS and just have a bit of a conversation about some of the lifestyle things, some of the supplement dietary changes we can be doing for PCOS or even symptoms of PCOS. So thank you, Selene, for coming on again and enlightening us all. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back. So are we going to start with the four types of PCOS? Yeah, let's jump into sort of where we left off last time. Mm-hmm. So we kind of talked about what it is. And if you didn't listen to that podcast and you're going, um, what is PCOS? Please go back and have a listen to that because we did dive into it and really unpack that for you all. So let's start with, yeah, what are some of the types of PCOS? Because I reckon when I went to the GP and they said, oh, we suspect you've got PCOS, you meet some of the criteria criteria no one ever said oh I wonder what the driver is for your PCOS or that there's different types I had no idea yeah yeah I think it's often um overlooked and I know we discussed this or touched on it briefly in um our previous episode but you know commonly the only type or driver of PCOS that is is recognized is insulin resistance. So we do know that is the most common cause, accounting for about 60% of all PCOS and um, around 60%, I believe, in lean PCOS as well. Um, but it's certainly not the only cause. So you don't have to have diabetes to have insulin resistance PCOS. No. So insulin resistance really develops a lot earlier than um, something like diabetes, which is why, you know, often if you're being tested for insulin resistant PCOS, your, your GP might just test fasting blood glucose or HbA1c. But really, we want to look at something more specific to insulin than that. So we'd want to look at ideally something like a glu- uh, insulin assay test, which is similar to the oral glucose tolerance test where you have to drink the solution and they measure your insulin response um, postprandial or after you've ingested that. Um, And, you know, if that's not available, um, something like fasting insulin would be your next best option there. 
Okay, so if it came back like positive that, yes, you know, you do have insulin resistance PCOS, let's just have a think about that first. What could you be doing to manage insulin resistance? Is there things that we can do in our lifestyle? Yeah, definitely. So insulin resistance really just comes back to diet and lifestyle, um, completely diet and lifestyle. So um if you are insulin resistance, I or if you have insulin resistance, sorry, what I typically see in, in these kinds of clients is that they're snacking every couple of hours, um, typically on, you know, higher carbohydrate things. So even fruits on their own um, or, you know, even things sweeter than that. Um, and most of their meals aren't balanced. So they're having, you know, avo on toast and then maybe some fruit um between lunch and and dinner and then you know maybe for dinner they're having you know pasta or something like that i mean that's a really um general example but essentially you know it's carbohydrates on carbohydrates on carbohydrates um and you can also be lean and have insulin resistance so we typically think of someone with insulin resistance as being you know maybe overweight it's not always the case so even athletes can be insulin resistance uh insulin resistant sorry getting my words all uh tangled and um yeah so you can also be lean and still have insulin resistance and so the best diet strategies that i give are working on balancing your blood sugar so we want to make sure that we're having three balanced meals a day. And what we mean by that is, you know, non-starchy veggies, quality proteins and healthy fats. And I often recommend, you know, if you're on that spectrum of being less carbohydrate tolerant and more insulin resistant, then, you know, carbohydrates are potentially going to be void for a while where you might completely not have them. It's not going to be forever, but it might be for a little while, or you might have smaller amounts or we might, time them into your training where, you know, if you're doing some HIIT training, we might have them post-training because we know that that's when you're using your carbohydrate system. Um, So yeah, they're the kinds of things I really start to get people to do and also minimize that constant grazing throughout the day, because that's really just perpetuating the problem. So insulin resistance so the reason we want to balance our blood sugars and have um, a bit more fat and a bit more protein because as you said it's easy to snack on carbs and I actually noticed that with a lot of the gut like women that I work with who have IBS or gut issues uh, carbohydrate diet is actually sometimes nicer because it's easier to digest like a little bit of fruits easier than you know a, a big piece of meat or something say or even nuts and seeds you go oh I'm trying to get the fats in but the, those fibers can be really tricky to break down so insulin resistance means that if we're eating these carbohydrates it's breaking down into sugar quickly but we can't get it into our cells is that right yeah exactly so imagine so i'm all about analogies (laughs) um and the way that i describe insulin um resistance developing to my clients is that i say you know Insulin is released when we eat mainly carbohydrates and they're turned into sugar in our blood. And it's insulin's role is really imagining it gets released and it's carrying around a set of keys. And when it gets to the cell, it needs to, you know, find the right key to open up the cell to let the um, sugar in there to be turned into energy. So what's happening with insulin resistance is just imagine that that little insulin can't find the right key. So it sits outside the cell going, 
where's the key? Where's the key? Where's the key? I can't find it. And the response that your body has to that is, okay, well, let's pump out some more insulin because maybe someone will have the right key. Or, you know, another way to think about it is maybe if I pump out enough insulin, we'll be able to barge down the door and open that cell. So that's really what's happening is that you're getting a lot of insulin being dumped into the bloodstream in order to try and um, get that glucose or that sugar into the cells. So how does exercise help manage that as well? If we've got PCOS and your doctor saying, oh, you should exercise more or someone like you and me is like, we really think you should incorporate some into um, your life. How does exercise help with the insulin resistance? Mm, Yeah, so I uh, typically really push for more resistance training and weight training if someone's insulin resistance because we know that the more muscle that you have, the bigger reservoir that you're going to have for um, glycogen or sugar to be stored in that muscle. And so that's really going to um, relieve some of that dependency on insulin. You're going to basically have a big, bigger storage area for um, carbohydrate or sugar to be stored in. So that's the main benefit. And why wouldn't we want to be doing high intensity interval training or anything like that? Or, or should we should we be doing that? Because Or is resistance training better? Well, yeah, um, probably depends who you ask. I really recommend, you know, resistance training over um, HIIT training for someone whose goals are to improve their insulin sensitivity because we know that you know with HIIT training it might have many other benefits done in small amounts but it's really just training your um, glycolytic system so it's training your cup it's training you to eat more carbohydrates basically (laughs) yeah my yeah and my thought process with that and you know this is just sort of what I think but if you've got PCOS we know that there is something driving it typically there might be the insulin at play but there also might be androgens there might be inflammation there might be stress like usually not always but usually it's this combination of things so Mm. I'm thinking well if there's a combination of things and there's inflammatory stuff at play or there might be gut stuff at play or you know on, on that whole bigger picture as well maybe something like hit right now for you while you're trying to get to the you know sort of crux of what actually is going on there something like hit might just be putting extra stress on your body um and you know for some women it works really well and for different time periods but i think that when you're trying to get to a diagnosis of something just to take a step back from exercise can be really important sometimes yeah definitely and i think you know really commonly with I don't want to generalize, but, you know, a a lot of these kinds of cases is you see that um, across the week, this woman is maybe doing, you know, five, six hit sessions a week. That's a real red flag. You know, if you want to include one, maybe two sessions a week, you know, you might be able to negotiate that with your practitioner um, and, and bargain if it's, if it's really important to you, but, you know, doing that five to six days a week for any woman, I'm going to say is, is a big red flag. Yeah, for sure. So is there supportive supplements that we can take as well? We've talked about diet, talked about exercise. Um, When we're talking about insulin resistance, is there other factors that can be at play here that can help? Yeah, definitely. So uh, nutrient-wise, I love using magnesium and also inositol. So there, um, probably said that wrong, um, but they're great for improving insulin sensitivity and magnesium are 
in of itself is great for reducing the stress response, soothing the nervous system. And I really frequently recommend that, you know, whatever dose I put my clients on, that they're doubling that in the week before they get their period. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I actually, yeah, I spoke to some about that the other day. Um, also for migraines as well, like magnesium to me mm. is is queen, you know, like everyone get down and bow because that stuff is so <laughs> important. And so often we're deficient in it, like we're not getting enough magnesium and it can help, you know, men or women for oh, so many aspects, stress or muscle cramps or even just general period stuff, not always just um, PCOS specific. I think it's really important there. But yeah, for for so many things and for even gut health clients, I'm always going to take magnesium. Like, yes, there's different types and different forms and they all have their different role. But it it is it is a really important um, yeah, supplement or um, mineral to be taking. Definitely, definitely. Cool. So that's insulin resistance PCOS. Um, what are some other types of PCOS that we can um, touch on briefly and give some information on? Yeah, sure. So uh, post-pill PCOS is another one and that's really a temporary and temporary surge in androgens. So those male hormones being testosterone and DHEA, and it is enough to um, have you qualify for a diagnosis of PCOS, um, but it is, you know, temporary. And then our other two are inflammatory PCOS. So this could be, and really commonly, this, what I see is uh, relating to gut health, be it, you know, something like SIBO or um, candida overgrowth or, you know, just general uh, dysbiosis um, in the gut. I very commonly see that if someone qualifies for a diagnosis of PCOS, they've got the high androgens, they definitely don't have insulin resistance, they definitely haven't been on the pill, you know, in the last few years um, and, we've ruled out adrenal PCOS, which is the last one I'll touch on, uh, then I yeah, really often see it, it coming back to that chronic inflammation in the gut, um, which is stimulating the ovaries to make too much testosterone. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Inflammation is, oh, it, it just affects so many areas of the body and there is, yeah, there's so many different drivers of it, like you said, and then, yeah, you have these flow-on effects that it might come from one area, like it might be a gut thing, it might be dysbiosis, it might be parasites or candida or, you know, even things like your food intolerances or you're highly sensitive to gluten or something can drive, which sounds crazy, but, yeah, it can drive the inflammation, it can drive up the androgens, which can then, you know, influence some of these other syndromes or hormonal imbalances that we have. Like I always say, like your gut is is that pillar. You know, it, it's the foundation. We need to get that right first, and then we can start to go. Hey, actually, our hormones, especially our sex hormones, they're at the pinnacle, girl. Like if if this mm. bottom stuff's not working, then why the heck is that going to be okay? And especially as women, we're so sensitive to you know changes in diet in exercise exercise in stress and in changes with our gut that yeah it can and will drive these um ongoing uh, changes and then yeah that links in perfectly with your adrenal pcos like that's can mm. be by so many things as well yeah definitely so adrenal pcos is our um last one to touch on and so if you have adrenal PCOS, typically you actually won't have the elevated testosterone 
but you will have elevated DHEA, which is released from the adrenal glands. So they're the glands that sit on top of the kidneys and they release um, adrenaline and cortisol. So they're really responsible for, you know, our stress response. And, you know, it's 2021, we're getting stressed from our emails, we're stressed from, you know, COVID updates, whatever it is, there's so many things to be stressed about these days. And our poor little adrenals just get, um, get smashed really. And this is actually, I think, yeah, quite common that I would see adrenal PCOS. Um, so I won't see high testosterone on the test, but it will come back with elevated DHEA. With, with adrenal PCOS, you touched on stress and yeah, you're, you're totally right. 2020 was a tricky year for everyone, but 2021 has been, you know, not much better so far. We've had a lot of outbreaks and a lot of changes and things going on as well. Um, but what are some of the things we can do to support women who have adrenal PCOS? Because we talked about this in the last podcast on some of the tests you can request and how to get to sort of, you know, the um, diagnosis of these different types of PCOS. So if you didn't listen to that, go back and have a listen, have a look at those show notes because I will put that in and I will put in the information from today. But this adrenal PCOS, how do we support women and how do we support our bodies if it's coming from our adrenals and it's coming from stress? Yeah, so I think, you know, step one is really identifying what the cause of stress is. So we have really a lot of different um, possible causes. There's both physical um, and, you know, emotional, psychological. So physical sources would be um, eating a really inflammatory diet, eating foods that you're not supposed to, that, you know, are, you're intolerant to. It would be doing too much HIIT exercise. Those kinds of things are physical sources of stress. And then, you know, more emotional could even be things like that ongoing unresolved traumas and things like that, that, you know, maybe you're not acknowledging how much they're actually stressing you out day to day, that you're constantly being triggered by different things. Uh, and then, you know, some of our more psychological could be relating to um, financial stresses. You're not communicating at home correctly with your partner, your, you know, I don't know, feeling like you're underperforming as a mom. Like there's so many different um, rabbit holes we can go down with that. But I think it's really important to note that in the stress picture, it's, you know, I'm not going to say never say never, but, you know, usually never just one thing. It's usually the combination and that layering of different things. So you might be, you know, eating foods that aren't, you know, great for you. You're doing too much hit activity and, you know, maybe you really need to sort out your finances. And so that is going on day to day, ongoing. And over time, that's really going to start to affect your health and definitely your hormones as well. So step one, I think, is really getting super honest about what is actually causing your stress. And, um, you know, a nutritionist will be able to help you if it's something relating to diet um, and it's more that physical kind of stress. And we might also be able to help in pointing you out to or pointing you toward um, other modalities as well that might be beneficial for you. So I think that's a really big part of, you know, our term of being a holistic nutritionist is actually being able to recognize and talk to people about, well, what are the other, the other pictures that affect your health? So, you know, could you benefit from something like acupuncture? Do you, would you benefit from actually going to see a psychologist or, or doing some trauma work or something like that? Like there's so many different things that, that really play into that stress picture. And I believe it's, I could be wrong, but I believe it's Dr. Libby Weaver who quotes this. And she said, you know, um, 
we this I'm going to butcher this quote, but basically that, you know, um, it's all our loose ends in our life that cause us stress. And so what we need to do to really manage our stress efficiently is just work on having less loose ends. And I love that because I just think it really summarizes, um, you know, being less stressed and self-care and all of that just is nothing to do with, you know, getting massages, getting your nails done or, you know, any of that stuff. It's really just basically cleaning up your life and taking out, um, taking out all the complications or as many as you can, which we know they're not all possible to remove, but, you know, try and sort it out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think you've summed that up perfectly. There is so many aspects and you can, you know, like we talked about the insulin stuff, you can look at your diet, you can look at your exercise, you can look at the different supportive supplements. And this is the same for inflammatory PCOS. If you, you know, you've got gut stuff going on and supporting that with healing the leaky gut lining and looking for pathogens and your post-pilsis PCOS, when you have that adrenal surge and supporting that with you know herbs and again lifestyle changes but primarily and this is what you've just summed up beautifully with adrenal PCOS we can do you people like you and me can help you with that internal stuff and um, you know working on those imbalances and supporting that but if you don't do that that external work with your life and like you said all those loose ends and you don't tie them together and recognize that you might be more stressed than you realize or there might be a lot of influencing factors going on and setting that time aside to go oh I should do some acupuncture or meditation or yoga or whatever it is setting aside time to food prep properly whatever it is I think that's really really important for women to give ourselves the space to recognize that and I believe that if you know if we don't give that the attention it deserves then all the other things we can be doing them all but it it just may not you know may not resolve well you may have ongoing issues with your adrenal pcos or with um promoting that androgen surge time and time again yeah definitely it comes back to that root cause um treatment right so you know you can throw all the magnesium at someone that you want but ultimately if you're still um, manic and stressed uh, every day that that cause is still there and so you know it it might the, the magnesium will be beneficial of course but it's really not going to fix that underlying issue yep totally totally well thank you so much for shedding some light on pcos again for us and for all the listeners today don't forget to go back and listen to part one on pcos and also to i will link it into the show notes but also lane's uh, contact details where you can find her gorgeous website with lots of great information on it you can stalk her on instagram and have a look at all her beautiful posts uh, send her dms pick her brains please um yeah stop picking mine go pick on someone else <laughs> but again thank you thank you so much i really really appreciate your time thanks so much for having me it's been really really good it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking.